Good morning, everyone. A slight contradiction to the old saying, April showers are bringing April flowers. <laughs> I want to welcome everyone and also those who are watching online. I'll begin with the reading for this week from Rays of the One Light, which are weekly commentaries that are shows the parallel passage of the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's reading is Deeds versus Intentions. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ emphasized repeatedly the spirit, not the letter of the law. In chapter 5 of the Gospel of St. Matthew, he speaks of the sin of killing and of the legal punishment attendant on that sin, but says that more important than the act is the desire to kill or to do harm. He shows that the sin of harmful desire goes beyond merely wanting to kill. My message to you, he said, is this. Whosoever is angry with his brother without cause already stands condemned. Whoever contemptuously calls his brother a fool shall answer for it to the supreme council. And whoever calls his brother an outcast of God shall be in danger of hellfire. Brother here means any other human being. For all of us in the highest sense are brothers and sisters children of our one father-mother God. The true self of one is the self of all. To hurt another is, even if one doesn't realize it, to hurt oneself. Swami Kriyananda in the path recalls an episode in which the master Paramahansa Yogananda revealed his sense of identity even with the plants. One day Kriyananda wrote, we were moving a delicate but rather heavy tropical plant into position on the hillside. Our handling evidently was too rough, for the master cried out, Be careful what you are doing. Can't you feel it's alive? To wish death to anyone, to wish even harm to another creature, is to deny in oneself the reality of that divine life of which all of us are manifestations. It is, in short, to deny the eternal truth proclaimed by the Bhagavad Gita in the second chapter. This self is never born, nor does it perish. Once existing, it cannot cease to be. It is birthless, eternal, changeless, ever itself. It is not slain when the body is slain. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Good morning, everyone. For those of you, and realize some of you might not know us, this is Naya Swami Jyotish and I am Naya Swami Devi. 
and it's wonderful to be with you on this beautiful spring day and welcome all of you who have come not so far afield and who are taking our courses here. So let's start. I'd like to start by reading a beautiful passage. Every time I, I don't know about you, but as I read Whispers, I think, oh, this is the most beautiful one. And then you read the next one and you think that's the most beautiful. So this is, make me the drops of sympathy in all tearful eyes. May my spark commingle with thy great spark. May it twinkle in all eyes. Bless me that I may swim in the sea of souls. Let me rush with thee on avalanches of noble desires. Let me feel thee in the budding hopes of all roseate minds and in the silence of all saints. Let the tears of my sympathy commingle with the drops in all tearful eyes. Together, thou and I will dance on the wavelets of all feelings. We will cheer every heart with divine delight. Let us throb in the life of all beings. So beautiful. So our topic this week, as Jyotish read, is deeds versus intentions. And I'd like to start by sharing a story that I read some years ago, but it always remained with me. A short story. And it's the story of two souls, and they both pass, leave the body at about the same time. And they were good souls. They had lived righteous dharmic lives, and so they begin ascending together to heaven. And at first they they don't know each other, so they don't say much, but then they realize, hmm, this might be a long journey. We might want to get to know each other. So they start sharing about their lives on earth, and they both realize that they were the other was a good person and that they have a lot in common. And then they keep ascending closer, and they see a beautiful light, and they know that they're moving towards that light. And then one asks the other, what religion were you? And he said, well, I was a Christian. What religion were you? Well, I was a Muslim. And there's a silence. Because even though they feel a friendship and they realize that they have so much in common, they're saddened because they think, well, my friend isn't going to enter into the kingdom of heaven because they don't worship the right God. And they go along, and as they get closer to the light their feeling of kinship just gets stronger and stronger. And then they say, inwardly, they're both praying, please let my friend enter into heaven, even if he didn't have the right religion. (laughs) And, And they get closer and closer. And their prayer changes as they start to reach the light. And they say, Lord, if only one of us can enter the kingdom of heaven, let it be my friend. And I'll, I won't go. And as then they get finally there at the light, and only one soul enters. But that soul is their conjoined consciousness. Because the letter of the law and of religion and of separation and of division of humanity and of hatred and all of that, it exists on one plane. But the closer we get to the light, those divisions don't exist. 
And it's only in the higher consciousness that we see the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Because this is one of our line of master's great missions was to show the underlying truth and similarity of all religions. There is only one God, and we may call it different names and worship it, him, her, in different forms, but the spirit is the same. And there's only one life, and we all live that life. And there's only one journey, and that journey is from confusion and delusion that this world is real to the understanding that all that exists is God's light and we are one in that light. And so all the differences that karmically we have to play out if we're a politician or an artist or a humanitarian, whatever it might be, it's the same journey that we walk. And the spirit that's guiding us that spirit may guide us through different life experiences, but it's the same lessons that we're learning in different forms. And those lessons are to see the underlying unity in it all, to do what you can to break down the barriers between beliefs and races and religions and all those things. And just to say, we are all one in this. There's no separation. And so when we look at the master talking about deeds versus intentions, there's two ways we can look at this. First, there's our actions. And he's, he's talking about when we have negative thoughts. It's a master in autobiography, you probably remember the story where he's sitting in his guru's ashram and they're, uh, they're, Sri Teshwar is giving commentaries on Patanjali and a mosquito lands on Master's arm. And Master instinctively is going to swat it. And then he says, oh no, we're studying nonviolence. I must not do this. And his guru, who could pick up all his thoughts, said, go ahead and hit it. And he said, well, but Master, you're just teaching us nonviolence. He said, you've already done the deed in your mind because you had the desire to kill it. And so it isn't even, we can control our thoughts actions to a certain extent but it's much harder to control our thoughts and our emotional reactions and so how do we do this well step by step catching the thought catching the negative reaction the desire to hurt someone or get revenge or have the last word or prove them wrong whatever it might be to catch it before it becomes strongly ingrained in your mind, nip it in the bud, so to speak. So if you start to be critical in your mind about someone, Master, you know, his, his, he presented his teachings in such a simple, almost um, quaint way that sometimes it's easy to just say, oh, yes, yes, he said that. But he said, if you find yourself starting to be critical and to speak in a negative way of another person, immediately start speaking ill of yourself. And you kind of think, oh, well, that's sort of a silly thing to do. But if we do that, we reverse the pattern that looks at the world outside of ourselves and deems it inadequate. This doesn't measure up to what I want. This isn't good enough. That isn't how I do it. And all those thoughts destroy us spiritually. They separate us from God because 
as we were reading in this passage in Whispers, God is just as much in the other person as they are in you. My dear friend Jan, I think, no, Jan isn't here today. Okay, Jan Shapiro gave me a wonderful bit of advice that she discovered on her own. She said if she starts speaking critically of someone, it might be, she'll always at least end by saying, just like me. (laughs) Brilliant, brilliant. Because it, it just, it takes you off the pedestal. I don't, I don't have that problem. I'm without flaws. You know, you just say, how can I be better than anybody else? Christ said, when someone said, my good master, he said, why call you me good? The only one that is good is our Father who is in heaven. And if there's any virtue that we have, anything that people admire, it's just God. It's not us and our limited humanity. So whenever Swami would do something, Swami Kriyanandaji would do anything remarkable, and then there were many things, and people would say, oh, Swami, what a wonderful lecture, what a wonderful book. He would always say, God is the doer. And it wasn't false humility. That was the secret of how he was able to accomplish what he did in his life, which was remarkable. Always with the awareness that God is the doer. If we think for a moment... And, and he said, this was a humorous story, once someone had been praising him for his writing, and then he went back to, he was in the middle of a book, and he went back to writing the next day, and he said, oh, I'd better really work at this because I don't want to let my public down. And as soon as he did that, he couldn't write because it was, it was, it was coming from his ego. It wasn't coming from a divine flow. And then he just laughed and he said, no, 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 I'm not doing this. God is doing this. So to... Catch those things in the bud before it becomes an ingrained pattern. And even, we can change in the moment. You can change today if you wanted to, to just stop putting out negative thoughts towards any person in your life, towards any situation. And you know the beauty of that? Sometimes I'll be in a situation and I'll think, hmm, I want to say this. And I want to you know, change this. This isn't the way I like it. And if I just say, wait, let God take care of it, he always does. And it always works out just fine. But if I step in there and say, I'm going to rearrange these pieces, it doesn't really help. It gets weird in another way. And so so just to watch the negativity of the thoughts and nip it in the bud. You know, there's a fabulous story that Swamiji told us about, you, you don't, you know, if there's something in your life that you feel you need to change or there's a desire and there's a, an intention to go that way, it doesn't have to be lived out. There was a young monk in Sri Yukteswar's ashram and it really was his destiny to be a monk. It was not his destiny, his karma to marry. But there was a little bit of a desire and attraction to that, to, to have a relationship with a woman. And so Sri Teshwar one day came to him and said, come with me. You know, let's open the windows. It's hot. Um, in the back door, too. Um, Sri Teshwar said, come with me. I have a surprise for you today. And so they, they went to the train station. They got on the train. And the, there were two trains waiting to leave at the same time. This young monk was just sitting there 
And he just glanced at the other train on the opposite, on the adjacent track. And in the car opposite him, sitting by the window, was a beautiful young woman of lovely vibration. And he just looked at her, and that was done. He didn't have to do the whole deed. It was just that touch of karma. that, And his guru was sitting next to him, tapped him and said, now you are done. And he knew it too. And so we, it, watch the inward processes of your mind. Watch where your desires go. Watch where your negative reactions go. And try to always bring them to a state of poise and equanimity. But then... There's another part of our actions. Because sometimes we can do, we can stop ourselves from doing a bad thing, but we can do a good thing with the wrong motivation. So there's a, I don't know, I was a student of literature, and there was a wonderful play, Murder in the Cathedral, by T.S. Eliot, great line. The last temptation is the greatest treason to do the right deed for the wrong reason. So it could look really great to everybody else. But if you're doing it because you want to be well thought of, if you're doing it to get praise or to get recognition, it's tainted. And, you know, some of you know, not all, right now part of our wonderful expansive work in India is something that we call Paramahamsa Yogananda Charitable Trust. And it's just beginning. It's in the first year and a half but we've, start, we've focused our initial service in the city of Vrindavan, which is a couple of hours outside of Delhi. And this is a place where one of the, uh, I don't know, shortcomings of Indian society is the treatment of women, of widows, excuse me, of widows. And often when a woman's husband died, she's just put out on the street, homeless, and she could be from a high family, well-educated, and there she is. And so over many years, widows have assembled in the town of Vrindavan, and there are thousands of homeless widows living there. And so that's where we're focusing our work, is serving the widows, creating, uh, giving them medical supplies, providing we've started four um, what we call community care houses, where each house is about 40 women. But beyond that, we're just going out to neighborhoods and really working. Well, I bring this up because the PR people leading it, and they, the people who are in charge are long-time Ananda members and deeply on the spiritual path. One of the things that they found, because there are other charitable organizations in Vrindavan, that the other groups are saying, Oh, yeah, well, they come and we give them blankets. Or, yeah, we give them, you know, a, a, bowl, a, a small bowl of rice twice a week. But they're doing it because they're expected, okay, we're a charitable organization. But they're not doing it with love. They're not doing it with caring about the people. And, in fact, in some cases, our people have met people in charge in Vrindavan of charitable organizations. And they say, oh, these widows, you know, they're just sort of loafs and, you know, kind of drags on society. And so... They're doing the right deed, but not in the right spirit. And it's better than not doing it all. But, you know, watch your actions, too. 
watch. And so what we're doing, what the you know, Paramahansa Yogananda Charitable Trust is doing, is looking at the individuals, caring for them, providing a loving home for them, looking at their strengths. One woman was a, a music teacher and was just left for dying on the street. We've resuscitated her, essentially, given her surgery that she needed. And now, you know, she's helping the other women learn music, learn how to chant and sing. Others are showing um, skills in uh, crafts, and we're helping to form crafts where they can earn a living and so forth. So it's doing the deed, not just literally, but with the spirit of the true purpose of helping anyone is to uplift their consciousness, not just to give them a bowl of rice. And we're, what's happening in Vrindavan is changing the face of charitable work in that area. And it may go beyond that. Well, I, I would be surprised if it didn't. But again, to act, it, sometimes you see people who, they really look like they're great yogis. They've got the part down path. They're meditating and they're spiritual and they only are looking at the spiritual eye and they're not talking to people. And you just feel like saying, come off it. You know, just, I mean, that's one thing I learned from Swami Kriyananda. If it's not real, it won't last. Be yourself on the path to God. You don't, there's not a stereotype that you're supposed to fit into, and this isn't what it looks like to be spiritual. It could look totally bizarre, and you could be the closest person to God. And so it just, forget the form. But find the spirit of it. And the same when we look at our inner life and our spiritual practices. People can know every technique in the book. But the most important, what's the purpose? Those are, that's the law of yoga. But what's the spirit of yoga and meditation and the spiritual path? The spirit of it all is to simply love God. That's all. And if you're not doing your techniques With the understanding, Lord, I am offering this to you in devotion, with all the sincerity of my heart. You know, once someone told us a story about Anandamoy Ma and of the great, great woman saint of India who Master knew and who is mentioned in Autobiography of a Yogi, the bliss-filled mother. And someone came to her who was an adept in all the different esoterica of yoga and he was doing these very difficult yoga postures in front of her and and she was just looking off into space (laughs) she gave him absolutely no energy because it wasn't done with the right spirit it was just done look at me it was done with the sense of how impressive am I and that that won't get you anywhere God's not fooled you know, you think God can't see through our egos? You know, he made our egos, for heaven's sake. But so to look at all the practices that you do and just to say, let me not get caught up with the form, but let me try to feel the essence behind those forms. And the story of, uh, from the annals of the, lives of, of the life of Krishna, his greatest devotee, was Radha. And once he asked Radha, he said, do you practice yoga and meditation? And she said, oh, I would, Lord, but I can't stop thinking of you with such love for a moment that I can practice these things. 
And so the spirit behind the techniques, that's what, don't, don't, that's what keeps our sadhana fresh. It, it's what keeps it growing. It's what keeps it expansive and rewarding. But if it's just the form, it gets dry and old real quick. And so try, what is the purpose, the spiritual consciousness? Remember we were saying the law and the technique, that exists on one level of consciousness, but the spirit behind it exists on another level. And just as with, I know many of us here are uh, in the, our yoga teacher training program, and that's why Swami Kriyananda created the affirmations to go with each of the yoga postures to show that the this is about consciousness. It's not just about technique. And the consciousness represented by each of those affirmations, expressed in each of those affirmations, is the core of what that yoga posture represents, is about. And so to look at always the spirit behind it and to say, Lord, because so often I'll in knowing devotees all over the world, the simple, humble ones who don't think much of their own spiritual stature, I think they're the ones that please God the most. And it's the ones that are the, you know, seemingly very impressive. Maybe they are, but that's for God to decide. And so there's the law. And in this world of material existence, there are many laws. There are laws of man. <laughs> there was a, a book we saw once in a bookstore <clears throat> that said, military music is to music as military justice is to justice. And um, anyway, <laughs> you can understand that if you will. Um, <laughs> But there's the laws of men, of man, and those have their own place in life. But then there are also the laws of the physical world, the laws of gravity, the laws of physics, the laws of thermodynamics, all of those laws. And they're all real in their own context. But then there's the law of miracles, and Master has that beautiful chapter in Autobiography of a Yogi where he explains the law of miracles. And it's just as scientific as any of the laws that govern the operation of the physical world. And I know in speaking with many of my friends who have themselves or have the loved one cured of what medical science has said is a terminal illness, and the doctors say, you know, they dance around and they say, well, this is not, we cannot explain this scientifically. And then some of them go a little further and say, this really is an act of God. And so the law of miracles is on a higher plane. I love the little episode from Christ's life where the Pharisees, unrelentingly trying to trick him, so that he would get in trouble with the powers of Rome. Uh, And so they come to him and they say, the publicans say that we should pay our tribute to Rome. What say you? 
and with brilliance, insight, without any rancor, he says, hand me a coin. And he holds a coin. He says, whose picture is on this? And they say, Caesar. And then he said, well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but render unto God what is God's. And so play the world it's due. I'm not saying break the laws. Abide the, by the laws. I mean, we can't, until we get very advanced, break the law of gravity. You know, some yogis levitate and all that, but that takes a while. But, <laughs> but give to God what is his. And that's the spirit. The letter of the law makes this world seem to operate, but it's the consciousness of God in truth that makes it all work. And the more we grow closer to that consciousness of God, as Master explained in that chapter, the law of miracles, we're not bound by the limitations of this world. The closer we grow, go, uh, grow towards the light, just as in that little story we shared in the beginning, the more we see it's all one. And if my body is here, if my body is there, if I leave the body, if I stay in the body, it's all one. And the closer we grow through our love of God to the light, the more we transcend all the laws of this world and live only in the spirit that God created us from. <laughs>